What's up, y'all? I'm Smiley Coffin, and we are here for the first ever episode of The Smiley Show. Man, this has been a long time in the making. Just super excited about this opportunity to share my thoughts on the game. And I'm used to calling shots on TV, but this space, I think, gives me an opportunity to provide my thoughts on all the headlines and most talked about stories in golf. And I do kind of like to geek out and be a golf nerd. And for me to be able to go in depth with the best players in the game on all the technical aspects that make them great. I love learning about how these guys do it. Uh, and beyond the tour pros, we get to talk to other people who love golf, uh, whether that's stars and other sports, musicians, entertainers, but really all comes back to why they love the game. I have somebody beside me, and that's Charlie Hume. He's going to be producing the show. And Charlie, I want you to tell everybody your 30-second wiki bio because I need to, we all need to know a little bit more about Charlie. We're doing a podcast right now, of course, right? So the, the chance that there's a bit of crossover and familiarity here, my best shot here is probably uh, letting the audience know that I, I used to work on the Levitard show. And before we go any further, we need to clarify what your handicap is so people have a vision of what, what we're working with here. Of course, of course. Yeah, I need to either lend myself a lot of credibility here or take a lot of credibility away. Uh, I am a five at the moment, but in true amateur fashion, I'd love to get that about a shot and a half uh, higher before we enter member, member, and member guest <laughs> season. Uh, which, by the way, Smiley, standing invite. If you want to come join me at Hope Valley Country Club, the door is open. Uh, I don't know, I don't know how that works with your amateur pro status, but uh, we'll we'll find a way to fudge the numbers and get you in there. You could be <laughs> Ky Kylie Smothman. No one's ever heard of this guy. He's like a seven. Uh, I'm in the process of figuring out if I'm going to actually open up a <laughs> handicap and actually get one, but I probably need to as much as little of golf as I've been playing, but. Anyways, let's get started with Jason Day winning the AT&T Byron Nelson. For me, what I've seen with Jason this year is his commitment to his new swing coach and technique with Chris Como. They've dove into it, gotten into the weeds of, I have been injured, hurt. I have got to figure out how to swing the golf club more efficiently to where I can play this game uh, for a long, long time. And it's what it's done is it's just opened up what he's been so good at over the years is putting is chipping all those things have always been strengths but now that his his golf swing is starting to match technically uh with the other aspects of his game it, it's it's woken up a, a a beast that we all knew was in there <laughs> and I, I remember jason day right before jordan speeth was kind of went on his run dude he was he was unbeatable charlie and uh i, I i'm just curious if you had any other takeaways from this Byron Nelson, other than Jason Day winning, is just good for the game of golf. It, it, it's exactly that. It, it's nice to see a guy that is well-liked by fans of golf who's back in the winner's circle. And today was made all the more special by the fact that uh, – and, and Amanda Renner did a really great interview with Jason and his family uh, after he won – where you know just talking about a year year on from his his own mother passing, uh, you know how much this meant to him to win on Mother's Day. That was really really cool. Um, and, and you kind of touched on on a lot of the stuff that that made this sort of a, a trademark. You know, Jason Day win. I mean, he had a key chip in early in the round for birdie. He really kind of got the momentum going. On 17, he leaves that tee shot a little bit short, but then great chip to leave himself a tap in for par and and not you know drop a shot against the rest of the field who were right there lurking. I just kind of always thought that Scotty Scheffler was going to get the job. I just kept kind of monitoring. He was six under through six <laughs> to start the tournament. I'm like, okay, he's going to win by 12. But 
this was a weird week in that if you finished 10 under at the end of the week, you were T64. Where are we at with Scotty Scheffler's putter right now as we head into a major week? Uh, to be fair, when you hit a lot of greens, you tend to not make as many putts. <laughs> I think just the, the stats will probably show that it's a proximity deal um, from how far away you're putting versus the guy who's missing a lot of greens and chipping it close and putting, putting it uh, less times because they're closer to the hole. But uh, besides the fact of that is, is that we know Scotty is capable of winning major championships, and that kind of gets us into this coming week, which is the PGA Championship at Oak Hill, um, a golf course that I'm really – excited about seeing on TV up in Rochester, New York. Uh, there's a lot of great storylines, a lot of great players, uh, especially PJ tour live players that you got that drama you're dealing with again, Charlie, that, uh, seem to steal headlines away. Um, <laughs> whether these guys can get along, we know they can, but still, it's still always going to be something that people talk about. We've, we've touched on Scotty Scheffler, who's installed the top of the board as a co-favorite with John Rahm. They're both seven and a half to one. And there's Rory McIlroy, who's 12 to 1. And those are, you know, coming into the year, kind of look like those are going to be our big three in golf. And I'm just curious where you're at. You've talked a little about Scheffler, but Rom and Rory, what you're thinking about those guys as they head into the second major of the year, you know, both in terms of, of reflecting on their season thus far and what they could do in this major and beyond. Well, John Rom has been a treat to watch this year. His his iron play, him and Scotty are one, two in strokes gained approach. And I would say that John Rahm in the past, there's been years he hasn't ironed it quite to that level, but this year in particular, he is ironing it this well, and it makes him so lethal. He's so good around the greens putting, chipping, and uh, and he's an elite driver of the golf ball, and this is a big boy track this week, which I think plays into all three of these guys. They're all bombers, and going into Rory McIlroy, I would say, I don't really know what to expect. And what I saw at the beginning of the year, though, was elite golf. So it's it's hard for me to be too emotional about what happened at Augusta and just kind of have my rearview mirror on of what I just saw. But I know what I did see. And it was, you know, a guy that can go win a major championship whenever he tees it up. It's all going to be about if, if the, is the rust off and is he mentally ready to go? If he and if those two things are answered, Rory McIlroy can win at Oak Hill. There's no reason why he can't. When we look at Rory this year, a guy who is very open about you know things and honest in his interviews, he's had to go through a lot, right? Yeah, I mean the whole off the course deal of kind of helping the tour put together a new structure to fend off the threat of live, and and then of course a ton of expectation built up for you know, the masters to play well. And, and I, I guess my question for you off of that is when do we see Rory playing his best golf again? Like, is it when we get to a place where we finally kind of stripped away all those expectations and taken that mental burden off him. And maybe we're further away from now that we've got this new schedule set, we know what the tour is going to be. He can just focus on playing golf without some of the spotlight for a little bit. I would say with Rory and those are all great points. And I, I would say with him, I think he just ran out of gas heading into Augusta. And I think the designated events had everything to do with it. I think it was front loaded this year. I think it created problems in scheduling. There's plenty of guys that I've talked about being uh, that were tired kind of going into Augusta. Jordan mentioned the, uh, the mental mistakes he, he made that week. And he, he could have potentially won the masters if, if he didn't make those mental mistakes and a guy like Rory, I just, there's just no way for me 
for him to miss the cut at Augusta, especially in the fashion that he did, there was no signs of that. And to me, that has everything to do with the player that's just not having that full energy and, and his legs underneath him. All right, Smiley, I have uh, one more name for you here, and he is the defending champion this major. Justin Thomas, 22 to 1. I mean, 22 to 1 for my boy JT. He's already the defending champ. He's already got two of those bad boys in uh, in his trophy cabinet. Definitely not betting against him. And JT was our first guest on this podcast. Uh, you're going to hear some golf stories about Tiger Woods. You're going to hear trips up to New York with some celebrities. And the, the spring break conversations were just hysterical. And I don't know if we're ever going to be able to top this interview, but my man, JT, he, uh, he definitely didn't sell a short. Uh, so without further ado, Justin Thomas. All right, Justin Thomas, first podcast guest. Thank you for joining us. How pumped are you first off to be numero uno of the podcast guests? I'm very excited. I know there's only one first, so uh, I'm sure I, you know, the other couple of people said no, and I, I fell in where I did, but I'm, uh, I'm ecstatic. Well, I have known you probably longer than, man, just of the guys that I know, I feel like I've known you the longest of the players that I've played with on the PGA Tour. Do you happen to remember the first event we played together uh, in a junior event where we met? Uh, was it in Mississippi? It was. Do you remember the event? Do you remember the name of it? Um, gosh, dang it. I can picture the pool that we all <laughs> hung out in too. It was I the, remember. it was the Exxon BFI in Greenville, Mississippi. Yeah, there we go. And we putted on that putting green <laughs> for hours, hours and hours and hours. And that was the first time that I met you and you were the only guy wearing pants. Yeah, uh, talk to me cool. about just the first off, it was like 105 degrees and you said, I'm good. I'm wearing pants. Why? That kind of stemmed from my grandpa. He just, he always wore pants. Um, and he just, I don't know, something stuck with me. It just was like pros wear pants and I wanted to be a pro. So I wore pants and looking back at it, I just, yeah, it didn't really make a whole lot of sense, obviously, because I was a junior golfer. But um, I mean, I get more comments about that than junior golf days of like, you were that guy and I was that guy, or I guess I was that kid. Yeah. Well, we spent so much time on that putting green and uh, it's kind of where our relationship started. We played junior golf all the way through and competed against one another. And uh, on, on topic though, with the pants, there was a concerning video that I saw over the last year or two and you were in the locker room. It was like one of those behind the scenes things and watching you get ready and you put on your sock first, then your golf shoe, Dude, then yeah. another sock, then another golf shoe. Is this, is this real life? I've never done that in my entire, that was the only time I've ever done it in my life. And there's a damn camera like right in my face. And I've gotten more comments about, you're a freak show how you put on your socks and shoes. And I, I blacked out. I don't know what happened, but I think, I don't know, man, it was, it's probably why I didn't win that day. Cause I've put my <laughs> socks and shoes on like a psycho. <laughs> I mean, I saw it. I'm like, Oh wow. That's, that's kind of psycho 
behavior. It's like putting on your shirt backwards and then putting it on after that. That was interesting behavior off topic with that. So you go to Alabama and super successful there. I competed against you while I was at LSU and quickly have success once you turn pro and eventually I found my way out there as well. And we're kind of transitioning into the time where you send me a text and said, Hey, do you want to go to Baker's Bay with me, Ricky Fowler and Jordan Spieth? And this is before that masters. So I said, uh, yeah. Uh, can you talk to me about organizing how that all was organized basically? Yeah. I mean, it is wild. Cause it, it, I just remember, you know, talking to, and Rick, I think I'd been there maybe once. Um, Jordan had never been, you had never been. And, you know, Rick had been a handful of times and we were talking about going, we're like, well, let's take a guy's trip. Obviously we were all in very different places in our <laughs> lives, uh, where we could do things like that. And, um, and, you know, we're just like, well, who should we invite or what are we going to do? And I was like, I mean, and I think like you knew Rick and Jordan, but you hadn't really like hung out with them. Right. Like well, any kind of Jordan, quality time like that. Jordan, just in junior golf, but then in, uh, he, he didn't spend much, much long of a time at Texas. And yeah, and then I was still, I, I actually spent four years at college unlike you too. So yeah. I was just a little behind y'all. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Th thanks for, for throwing that in there. C congrats on your degree. That's cool. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah. And it, I don't know how it, it worked out, but I just remember, I'm like, I don't know if I can, if I can have a draft pick, but I, I'm going to choose uh, that, that Carter Smiley Kaufman guy. And um, yeah, damn, we had, we had a, uh, we had a nice time. Well, first off, thank you for picking me, but I also want to know where was I on the alternate list? Who was asked before me? Give me the rundown. There's a lot of names that I wanted to throw out there, to, to, but I don't want to put that on them. No, it was a no brainer. It was, uh, it was, a, I think, a smiley or bust kind of situation. Really? I heard there was a rumor. I, I thought I remember y'all asked Rory to come and maybe he didn't, didn't want to come or maybe it was just going to be us five. I mean, especially, uh, yeah, I, I'm sure if we did ask him, I'm sure he was like, why on earth would I ever want to do this with you guys? And I'm sure we asked Willie Sellers and he probably had something going on or whatever it was, but uh, no, it was uh yeah, man, it, don't, don't sell yourself short. <laughs> well, I always appreciate the invite, but once we got there, the trip was needed for all four of us. Do you remember just the timing of how, just the golf and getting to Baker's Bay, just how excited we were. Yeah, it was, um, it was wild. I don't know if you could have, I mean, I guess you could have drawn it up better by one of you guys bringing a jacket to Baker's Bay, but in terms of, you know, the two of you guys in the final group, you and Jordan, and then obviously that was a, you know, a huge, it was a huge situation or, or moment for both of you, but Jordan, having been there, you know, what, he was a defending champion, wasn't he? Yep. And, you know, he had a chance the year prior. That was your first time freaking thrown into the gauntlet in a, <laughs> in a major, let alone the final round of the Masters yep. final group. And, yeah, it was just a, with his finish and, and you know, with how I'm sure it, it went in your eyes too, it was just like a, wow, I need a vacation. You're like, well, you don't say. It looks like we have one planned in a couple of days. So, it um it, it couldn't have been better because it was 
it was a little bit of R&R much needed for all, but I know for the two of you, uh, a little bit more so. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned uh, Jordan and I, but you and Ricky also played the following week in Hilton Head. Do you remember how y'all played there? In Hilton Head? Did we play? Yes, you did. And I recall one of you missed the cut and one of you shot like 81 on ooh, Saturday ooh, or Sunday. That was me. That was me. That was- <laughs> I made the, yeah, yeah. I made the cut. And uh, because Jill, uh, I just started dating Jill, like pretty, I mean, like a month or so, a couple of months before that. And she came out and it was, I shot like 80, 80 on the weekend. I finished last by like 10. And I was like, see, isn't professional golf cool? Isn't it fun? But I ha- I don't know if people know the, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Uh, the story of you and Jordan on 12 and then 13 T you need to tell that story from when you guys and Jordan had his little fiasco. Oh, it was, it was crazy. Uh, I mean, I obviously witnessed and was had the front row seat to it all, but we get to 13 T and Jordan walks up. And, and like you said, I haven't really spent enough time with Jordan at that point. We were friends, but it wasn't close enough to where I felt like he was going to ask me anything or talk to me after a situation so, like that. So it was like, like talk me through because what he had a five shot lead going. I'm sorry, Jordan, if you listen to this to bring, to bring all this up. But he, he doesn't a, even know what a podcast is. What are you talking that's about? That's a very good point. He can't even <laughs> open his own phone um, if he hasn't lost it. But uh, so he had what a four or five shot lead in the back nine. He and do you remember like what you were through 12 holes? Like just the whole situation. It was just, I'm sure, like a tornado kind of thing. I felt like I was out of the tournament. I knew that, but I also felt like Jordan was going to win. And after what he made on 12 and I made birdie, I was already cut from coverage. So people didn't get to see me make a two humble brag, <laughs> humble brag. So we get to the T and I'm walking to the T. I'm like, all right, I made up five shots there. I'm starting to do some math in my head. It's like what I make on six, checking the scorecard. <laughs> and uh, we get back on the T and he says, hey, is it you or me? And I was like, oh, <laughs> and that was the first time I'm like, okay, him and I are a lot alike. And and that was the first time I realized we are a lot alike. And then there was chaos behind us, people playing a Augusta uh, country club behind us, looking for golf balls. It was just chaotic. Um, It was a, it was a wild day, but man, JT, we eventually get to spring break. And before we got there, we actually, uh, I actually, I get a little too excited when I go on trips and we went bowling uh, that night before. Uh, Do you remember that evening much? Probably a little bit better than you do. Um, you know, the funny thing about spring break and and the whole Baker's trip is that a lot of actually, I would say the majority or everybody, except for the four of us, didn't realize that the most hungover you were that entire trip was the night after we went bowling in Jupiter, Florida, before we even got to the bomb. <laughs> well, I mean, I remember driving to the airport and I'm thinking to myself, oh, God, I don't even want to go anymore. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. So just I'm going to book a Southwest flight, go back to Birmingham and watch these guys uh, go on their trip to Baker's Bay. But we went and, you know, to me, Justin, I'm curious what your opinion is. Social media then versus what it's like now, it almost felt like it was a honeymoon period where we were super comfortable putting just our lives and our vacation out to the public, something we wouldn't do now. I just want to hear your thoughts yeah. on that time period versus now. Yeah, and I think um, 
I mean, obviously, like we were all in different places in, in our lives kind of thing. And obviously with with like I think Snapchat was kind of becoming a thing. And then it was like, you know, you could be public on there. And it was and Rick was way more um, Jordan still didn't know how to really work his phone then. So nothing changed there. But Rick was a lot more active on social media. And I mean, I would say he was kind of like the poster child for us in terms of like, hey, we want to do what Rick Ricky Fowler's doing, because arguably nobody's branded himself better than him then and still now so we were like hey if rick's doing it i'm all in i'm gonna do it i'm probably gonna do it too but it was i mean when you think about it it's like we literally like we went on this vacation us four guys like best friends and like we were just acting like idiots and we just videoed everything like we put it all out there yeah i mean it's funny it's definitely looking back on it it probably isn't something we would do it definitely isn't something we would do now but it like you said, it was a little bit different day and age, and um, I mean, people obviously enjoyed it, but uh, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, you mentioned the Snapchat. I remember Ricky had so many followers on Snapchat, and he was like, "Yeah, just you know, post on Snapchat, and I'll tag your handles." And the next thing I knew, I, I was a guy probably had, I'd won on tour, but by the end of that trip, it was people recognized me from the trip and not winning a PGA Tour event. <laughs> I mean, we still, yeah, we still get yelled at. I mean, I know, especially with you out calling golf now, I'll hear because you're, you know, if you're calling, depending on where you're standing, but you're walking a lot closer to the ropes than we are the majority of the time. And you'll hear whether it's walking between holes or something, be like, smiley, going spring break, spring break. <laughs> like, never ends. Well, there was some foreshadowing on that spring break, uh, 2K16. We filmed all the shots like it was TV. And yeah. I didn't realize that was my first audition that I sent to actually be an on-course reporter. So thank you for all the material. Yeah, absolutely. The, my only disappointment with then versus now is you only seem to use a microphone as a microphone now versus, you know, on that trip, I think you used like a rake, a shoe, a tequila drink, a coconut, like anything that was there um you used as a microphone i mean wh- who was it it was like kurt byron was getting thrown out there oh god and i work with kurt now and he was like dude why did you keep using my name so much and i was like kurt i don't know man it was <laughs> it was the first thing that popped in my head i've had five tequila drinks and it's already 2 <laughs> 30 i'm sorry <laughs> yeah it could be worse i mean you take it as a compliment uh so jt i'm curious about social media how has your relationship with social media since that trip uh, changed since then uh, compared to now? Uh, I definitely look at it a lot differently now. I don't, I still enjoy it, but I don't enjoy it near as much as I used to. I feel like it's gotten way more negative than it was. I think when it started, it was just an opportunity for people and it still is an opportunity for people to, you know, whether it's share their stories, say what's going on, kind of create this um, brand for themselves or just, I mean, my whole thing is I want, you know, if I go to dinner and I, and I sit at the bar by myself and I talk to somebody who happens to be a fan of mine, like I want him to feel like he or she to know me how I am before I even talk to them. You know what I'm saying? So that's how I've always viewed it, but it just seems like it's turned into a place where you can just kind of say whatever you want. It doesn't matter if it's factual. It doesn't matter if it isn't. It it's it doesn't matter if you have any credibility or you're the most credible. It just you can say whatever you want. And that part of it is is a little much to me at times. So that's probably why I'm not as active and I try to limit my time 
on it, but, um, but it's still, I mean, it's, it's taken over the world. That's for sure. Well, and you mentioned the negativity, the trolls, that's something that wasn't around back in 2016 as much. Thank God. The more that you're on social media, the more that negativity, negativity that you can read, has that affected you much to where you feel like you just put social media away at times when you get to tournaments? I think there's a time and place for it. I, I, I've gotten in a habit and I actually got this from Jordan. I mean, he's he hasn't had social media on his phone for a long time, but it initially started, he would take it off his phone for the majors. And I think that's great because at the end of the day, when, yeah, when I'm in a major, like it's all business. I'm not, I'm not there to, the majority of things that are being posted during major weeks are not from me. They're either from my management or something that I maybe passed along. And um, it's just more so that I don't waste any time or energy on something that I don't need to, other than trying to win the golf tournament or play well. And it's just like anything. And I'm sure you're the same way or maybe not, but I just, I go in spurts where I'm like, all right, I just need to get away from this a little bit. Or, you know, if I'm sitting on a couch on a, maybe a little bit hungover rainy Sunday, like, yeah, I'm probably going to do my fair share of scrolling, like just because I got (laughs) nothing else to do. And I got to wait till one o'clock until the football games come on or whatever it may be. So there's definitely a time and place for me. That's a great point. And I'm not going to talk too much about spring break uh, 2017, but like the hangover movie, the hangover two movies never going to be quite as good. Uh, but I would say the quality of our golf at spring break 2k 17 was fantastic. And do you remember how well we played at Baker's that year? Uh, I'm going to be perfectly honest, Smiley. I don't at all. I don't, uh, and I, I mean, that's, that's a long time ago, man. Six, six years ago. Like I don't, I'm, I, I do remember that we had some electric games, like some hammer games. We were playing yes. courts, I think, yep. where we would, yeah. And I mean, you can you can get it rolling out there at Bakers. And I do remember that we had we we had some great games, but in terms of specifics, uh, no, I do not. We I do remember playing that quarters game. And so often I felt like y'all would flip, all three of you would flip heads and I would flip tails, and y'all would immediately say hammer. And so the bet somehow goes from a $20 game to now, before I even hit a tee shot, $800 is on the line. <laughs> I'm like, I, and I have, I'm a rookie on tour. It's, it's almost like a general hazing. I'm like 800 bucks. Like two years ago, I'm, I'm still in college and now I'm playing for $800 a hole against some of the best players in the world. But oh goodness Uh, yeah yeah it's it 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 seems to happen that way I will say I will give Jordan a hard time about anything and everything all in you're very similar but there may be nobody on planet earth that is better at keeping a scorecard and keeping like track of bets than he is I mean there was a time we went on a trip to a hoopie during quarantine me Jordan, Rick, Duff, Kiz, and Gary Woodland. It was like, we needed to get out of the house. We wanted to go like play some fun games and like, you know, get a little bit of competitive. And one day we did a three on three game, best two balls. We played 45 holes. We played like a hundred dollar one downs that I think eventually got pressed on the last nine to a couple hundred more. We had, I have a picture of it on my phone. We had like 34 bets open and we broke dead even and Jordan I mean again this was a 
it, it was a fun trip, I will say, along with golf where a couple cocktails were had. And somehow he kept his scorecard and kept it perfect the entire time. And we broke dead even. So I have to give him a little props for that. No man loves keeping track of bets, whether it's AC Ducey, whether it's games on uh, the golf course, like you're mentioning, the man is a degenerate at heart and loves the action. <laughs> Uh, I remember some of the stories from that Ohoopy trip that I'll I'll choose to leave out uh, that y'all mentioned to me, but I'm going to get back to 2017. And I really feel like before you got going that, that year, you won five times. We actually went on a chip uh, trip to uh, Japan, you and I, and we did, and we played LACC and do you, I mean, that trip in general, it was one of my favorite trips I've ever been on. Yeah, I I remember a lot of I mean that was it, we we went and played the Dunlop Phoenix. You had uh Tony went and caddy for you and I mean Lance, my agent came over, Jimmy. And I just remember we were like we're going to go out early, we're going to go to LA and it was like we're, we're going to, you know, it's going to be so much fun. We're going to stay with a friend of a friend in Beverly Hills and we went and played LACC. It's easier to fly out of LA. Like we'll go in early, we'll get to Tokyo on Sunday so we can have a great dinner, we can go out, it'll be fun. And do you remember we get to Tokyo and find out that everything is closed on Sundays? We're like, we ser- we've had this plan for months and we were like staying in this badass hotel and this dinner. We're like, damn, like it's pretty slow here in Tokyo. And finally found someone that spoke English and they're like, yeah, everything's closed on Sundays. <laughs> but we did find a karaoke bar where sure did. every time Lance hears the song, he FaceTimes me or sends me a text, and that song Frank is Sinatra, New York, New York. It's an all-time karaoke song it that is. I feel like when I was singing it or watching someone sing it, I I was kicking my legs up in the air. Uh, it was man. Do you do you care to share the story of the interaction that you had with the rules official at the Dunlop Phoenix? God. Man, you're throwing me under the bus on this one. <laughs> I actually told this story this past week to. Uh, a rules official and talking about a wild uh, ruling I got in Japan. They had these large non-venomous spiders that, that felt like they were the size of your face when you looked at them. And on the 12th hole, I hit in the left rough and the rough there was very long, as you remember. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the club uh, got caught in the rough, hit a hosel into the right woods and which I've shanked or two you in get, my game. Yeah, just it's, you can just say you shanked it. It's a good thing you caught in the rough. You shanked uh, it. I, I, I was good for a shank every three months when I was playing on tour. Anyways, that's besides the point. My ball was underneath a huge spider web. Massive, massive spider. I call for a ruling because no way I'm hitting the shot. A PGA Tour official will be like, yeah, dude, drop a mile away from that. <laughs> and uh, the rules official comes up, doesn't speak great English, and he said, non-dangerous, non-dangerous play. And he kept like kind of rushing me into playing. And eventually I got to a point kind of boil over. I'm so mad. I'm in the woods. And I tell Tony, I was like, Tony, tell him, go away. And I don't want to hit it here. Something like that. It just was a mess. And uh, didn't he didn't he say something where he was like, no, like it's not dangerous. Like you can knock it, you can like knock it down. You're like, you knock it down. I'm not touching the spider. Like I'm getting no. I, I asked him if I was like, you play the shot. And <laughs> it just was a mess over those right trees on 12 at the Dunlop Phoenix. Still one of my favorite events. And 
And JT, you end up finishing fourth that that week, I believe fourth. And to be honest, it kind of felt like it propelled you to a big year. And do you what did 2017? What are your memories of that winning a major and uh, four other times on tour? Yeah, I I, I mean it, it all started in yeah in that fall when in CIMB I felt like. Um, that just was kind of the beginning of kind of getting me a little bit of momentum. I'd won in 15 was my first win. And then 16 was, I went back to back and it was like, okay, you know, you can win first time, but winning again. And I just felt like that. I learned a little something from that and how I handled that. And then going into Kapalua and Sony were, you know, arguably Sony was the best golf still to this day. I think I've ever played. Um, and I just, I felt a little like a sense of confidence that just, I do belong out here. And, you know, I, I can not only win, but win multiple times. And and it was just more of a confidence and belief than anything. You know, I felt like I didn't need to be perfect or I, I, I could make mistakes. I just had to outthink um, everybody else. And I felt like that's what I learned and, and it showed there again at the PGA and then the playoffs. And I um, was fortunate to, uh, to sneak the, the FedEx cup past our, our pal Jordy there. Well, I'm going to speak upon that confidence you were talking about. You said that the Sony Open, you said you played some of your best golf. Well, you and I had breakfast that morning, that Thursday. And I don't know if you remember that. You were joking around, having a good breakfast. And, you know, we go out to warm up. I hit balls and you were uh, went to chip first. And we pass each other in walking. Um, and I'm doing something stupid, probably some dance, a dab. And I remember you walked like right past me and really didn't give me much as far as just a laugh or anything. I'm like, Oh man, what got into that guy? And, <laughs> and then I'm finishing up my round. I'd finished on the 18th hole and I'm, I'm walking past the ninth and I see that I knew you were going low that day. And then you made that putt for 59. I'm like, Oh, okay. Maybe he was in the zone and I didn't realize it. I mean, it's just crazy. You can get into the zone so quickly. Talk about how you're able to just almost get in that that tiger vision, like on the Xbox game we used to play. You can just tap into it so quickly. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's just there's there's days or weeks or months, years, whatever it is that that's easier than others. And that just was one of those runs that I had or definitely one of those years where I felt like I could tap into it easier than others and it, it again it just was it's very similar to stuff that all of us are trying to achieve all the time it's just making it easier you know it's not it, it you're never as far away as you think in golf and I felt like that was something that I did and and um I mean at Kapalua the week prior you know I felt like I had a great lead and then I just made a terrible double on 15 Hideki made a birdie and all of a sudden I made it a tournament and then I had a strong finish to then close it out so that almost gave me a little bit more confidence and and having the opportunity to go back to back it just was like I didn't feel like I I just stayed kind of in that rhythm and in that zone and really just more trusted in my ability than anything as opposed to like feeling like, oh, now I got to, you know, I have to live up to these expectations or I need to show everybody that I can do this or that. It just was more, hey, I've been practicing really hard and I believe that I'm plenty good enough. I just have to go play golf and and have the faith and believe that it's plenty good enough kind of thing. And you talk about you, you, you understood that you had the ability and the belief and confidence 
And that's transitioned so well for you into the team events. Your record speaks for itself. But I want to talk to you about the President's Cup in Australia when you were playing in Melbourne with Tiger. And mm -hmm. I can't remember if you said this in an interview or this was something that was just mentioned on group text, but you had the tee shot on 18 and Tiger said something to you that if, if you, if you remember, on, it, was, yeah, it was, it was on 16. It was, um, 16. it was, yeah, it was in the, the alternate alternate shot. And I just made like a eight footer for birdie to, to stay tied in the match. We were in a really good match. And 16 is like, first off, Royal Melbourne, one of the most unbelievable courses ever. Like I, absolutely loved it and I was evens unfortunately so in that situation so I had 16 tee shot and it's this brutal hole it's this very narrow dog leg left and it just gradually dog legs the whole way and I like to fade the ball off the tee and there's this damn tree that's like right off of the tee on the left that it's just I mean right in my window like I mean I'm looking up and th that tree is what I see so it already asked for a draw the wind's in and off the left and I mean, it's just, it's begging for me to just heal Haya one right of the planet. And it's just like, man, like it's a big point in the match. Like we need, I need to get this ball in play. I have the greatest iron player on planet earth on my team, but I can't, it's such a long hole. I can't hit like an iron because then, I mean, it's like a driver five iron kind of par four. And I never really asked Tiger anything in terms of layups or whatever it is. It just, and that's what makes him such a great partner is he's just like, look, you go play, I'll go play. I'll let you know if I need anything. So I'm up on the tee and I'm like, I call Tiger over. He's like, what? I'm like, I mean, is there anything like I, this tee shot's not very comfortable for me. Like, do you care if you're further back or, and he just goes, I don't care what I have in, just put me in the in fairway. <laughs> that's what he said. And I was like, okay, that doesn't make it any easier, but I appreciate it partner. <laughs> so I, um, I, I just teed down a low driver and I hit like a kind of like the shot I hit on 10 at Augusta or that 16 at, at Sawgrass, like, like a little junior draw and somehow hit the fairway and um, we won the match, but it was, I'll, I'll never forget that. <laughs> and what did you say celebrating yelling at Tiger on 18? Still one of my favorite wines. Yeah. I said, uh, I love me some me. Uh, that's a, a Terrell Owens quote. I showed the whole team, it's a funny video myself, uh, a buddy of ours, Willie Sellers and, and Bud Collie, that we've said many times and we've watched this video and I showed it to the team on the bus on the way to the course that day and they hadn't seen it. And I said, I was, if I make a big putt today, I'm I'm saying this and uh, 18 green felt like a pretty fitting place. It was awesome. It, it still is probably one of your best memories as far as making a clutch putt in the time, especially with Tiger being the captain watching. Imagine mm -hmm. that was quite an incredible moment. And then you transition into playing with one of our good buddies, Jordan. And I can tell you this, Ricky and I have played a bunch of matches against you guys and you two together are very difficult to beat. And I knew that, uh, I think the world has found that out, but why besides your friendship, have y'all been such a competitive duo in these uh, team events? I think we're very similar. I mean, our, like our personalities, um, just our demeanor kind of the way we go about things is very similar our games are very similar I think we you know I, we have a lot of confidence in each other I mean it's one of those things and Jordan has said it best in in the sense of 
you know, if, if I was to miss a green and I couldn't choose myself to get it up and down, I'd probably choose him. And then he said that same thing, you know, if I miss a green and I have a tough up and down and I can't choose myself, I'm going to choose Justin. So it's like, we have that, that belief and faith in each other. And, and we're both not afraid to get the spray gun off the tee every once in a while. So like we, we, we can hit some of those shots because we've been there on our own. So it's just very much a, a situation of we're comfortable. We have belief in each other, but we're also very good at feeding off each other. And we know each other's games well enough to where if he's, if he says, you know, I, I don't know if it's a seven or an eight and he's talking about, you know, if I, if I hit a flight draw eight iron, like I know that shot from him because I've seen it enough to where, you know, another guy, I mean, um, you know, Scotty Scheffler last year, like I, I haven't seen him hit that shot enough to, to confidently say, yeah, I, that's enough club. Whereas Jordan could ask me and I'm very confident I could give him the answer to what I think would solve that shot kind of thing. Well, it's basically acting <clears throat> as a, as another player caddy. It, it's just more information to help uh, mm -hmm. you two get around the golf course. And uh, y'all, y'all two are just so difficult to beat. And um, hopefully, and I assume Ryder cup is definitely, I'm sure y'all sent some texts to Zach Johnson, letting him know that, that you two will be playing together. <laughs> Yeah, we, we have a um a bit of a track record of of group texting the current captain and letting them know our best ball scores, although it really came back to bite us in the ass at whistling straights because all we talk about is how good our best ball scores is are and how low we shoot and freaking strict didn't even play us together in best ball. So he's like, Look, it you can say all you want, but it didn't really work out for you because we both only played one best ball session and it wasn't even with each other. So um Maybe that that theory has really come back to 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 get us. Oh man, I love a good I love a good bit more than anything. And uh, all right, so the first uh, time I was actually on the call for um, when I started this media venture was at the PGA Championship this past year at Southern Hills, and I feel like most people got a more in depth look at that week uh, thanks to full swing in the Netflix show. And I picked up on something I didn't even realize. And I knew that you played incredible golf on Thursday, Friday, being in the bad wave, which I feel like took a little wind out of your sails. I feel like you had to work harder almost to play that well. And then Saturday didn't quite have anything go your way. And talk to us about the rain session. I know you've seen um, the episode, but I just want to hear your thoughts on just what all was going through your head that Saturday evening. Yeah, the, the range session Saturday afternoon was arguably the most important range session I've ever had in, in my life. I mean, it just was um, it was one of those things to where I don't know if it was Bones, if it was me, my dad, John Graham, but it was it just was like I couldn't leave the property in that frame of mind. I just was so pissed off. I felt like I had just completely thrown away an opportunity to win a major and I was in a great spot to do it. Um and I just, I just was so mad and it was very windy. It was cold. I mean, I was in the, one of the last couple of groups, it was damn near dark. So it just was, I just needed to go down to the range and I needed to really just vent more than anything. Um, you know, I probably in, in total hit a handful of putts and a handful of shots, but probably just talked more than anything. And I just needed to all hell break loose and just really just let it fly. And, I wasn't necessarily, I wasn't mad at anybody. It just was, I was frustrated and, and needed to get it out. So that 
I could leave Southern Hills in a better frame of mind because it, it's not healthy to, to one, take that home with me. Um, but two, just to, to leave that course in that frame of mind, because, <clears throat> because of that and because of bones, you know, and my dad and John kind of keeping me positive and, and understanding that look, whether it's to get in a better frame of mind to go shoot 68 or nine and finish in the top five or to shoot 67 and, and win the golf tournament. Like I just, we had to make the most out of the situation we were at. That was the reality at that point. And that um, obviously worked out great. So uh, it was, uh, it was pretty, pretty cool. So I remember <clears throat> in the Netflix uh, full swing, you said, I mean, I can't even find anything and didn't have a swing thought was so that was more just just not even yourself talking you really did have a swing thought because I'm curious if you found something physically uh in your golf swing before the following day or really it's just a a total reset mentally just to get you ready like you were talking about it was just a, a reset mentally it was um I mean it was it was very windy it just was one of those days that it was like you know anything good that can happen didn't you know it was like little things like on <clears throat> on 10 I hit a great tee shot down there I hit a really nice wedge and it just <clears throat> I caught it it was straight downwind I got a huge wind gust and just knocked it straight down into the front bunker you know whereas like I could go up on the green I could have a tap in birdie whatever and um you know I I on it made a dumb decision and tried to go for the green on 13 I hit a good drive and my ball rolls right up against the collar of the rough and you know, if that's in the fairway, I'm hitting five wood, which is arguably one of my favorite clubs in the, in my bag. I most likely hit it up around the green and make birdie as a, instead I take a, you know, take on a risk. I hit a tree. I may I have to get up and down for six. So it's just, there was a lot of things that just kind of happened in one of those days to where, yeah, it wasn't like I had one thing in my swing that was happening. It just was like a, my mind <laughs> was, was uh, unraveling a little bit. On Sunday, at what point did you feel like I have a chance to win this championship? Uh, 12 green was where I totally felt it. I didn't look at leaderboards that day. I just was so far back that I didn't feel like it was really going to do me any good. I mean, I I was very fortunate that the, I think, six people that were ahead of me, none of them had won a tour event, let alone a major. So um, it wasn't necessarily a knock on them. It just was the reality of like, Hey, I, I mean, I've been there. I know how hard it is to win a major. I know how hard it is to win a golf tournament. And like, these guys are going to be uncomfortable tomorrow because I'm going to be uncomfortable, but I'm going to be less uncomfortable than they are. So I just was like, I need to go out. And I, I mean, I, I'm not going to be stupid and try to go shoot 61 or two. Like, obviously that'd be great, but in the end of the day, it's probably not going to need anything crazy. So I'm like, I just went out and played, just kind of picked my spots. I didn't get off to a great start. Um, made a couple birdies, made a huge birdie there on nine. Um, missed a shortish, you know, a 12 footer on 10, made a 60 footer on 11. And, and then on 12, it kind of, you know, 10 goes down 11 and then 12 comes back close to nine green. Mm -hmm. That's about where the final group was. And, I made a, I made probably a 18 footer, 15, 18 footer for birdie there. And I could just tell the roar from the crowd. It was a very different roar. And it was like a, I'm, I'm in this tournament kind of roar and I could kind of feel the crowd getting behind me. And that was like a, all right, let's, let's go kind of thing. Well, you were able to keep going and, and you worked yourself into a playoff and I'm curious 
which shot between the two major championships you won the seven iron at quail hollow or the three wood you hit on 17 which one for you was a more was a better shot or more memorable i think the i think the three wood this uh, last year was more memorable i think the seven iron at quail was a better shot i think in terms of like being able to repeat it i think that seven iron like that pin you've seen it is ridiculous like it is it is just right on a knob and like it, it's, you know, it's 220 yards and I had no business. Nobody has any business making birdie into that pin unless it's an accident, let alone somebody with the one shot lead. And like, I, it was one of those, like my three wood at 18 at Aaron Hills. Like I'm probably not going to repeat that one in a hundred times. Whereas like, I'm pretty sure you give me 10 balls at 17 at Southern, at Southern Hills from that tee. Like I could probably hit it, you know, a couple of them on the green, but given the situation, it was very memorable and was very timely. <laughs> well, I, I just remember the emotion you had um, on 18. It You just never were able to get out of the zone still, even when you had a two-putt to win on 18. It, I remember sitting there watching you, and you took plenty of time to kind of gather yourself, knowing let's not get ahead of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Talk about that moment on 18 green. Yeah, you know, it was it was tough because I was trying to balance the two um, of staying in the moment. But I, I also remember wishing I remembered more from 18 at Quail Hollow. Like I remember I was actually telling Bones last week um, when we were walking up to 18 Green. I mean, I, you know, I knew I had a two shot lead at the, at the time and I hit it up the right and hit in the rough. And like I walked up to look at the green and I turned around and the scoreboard was there and Kizan made bogey. And I had a three shot lead and I was like, holy shit, like I'm about to win the PGA. Like this is, I mean, I just need to, Jimmy can get it home from here in a couple of shots. Like, I, and, but I just didn't, I didn't look around and do enough. And I remember trying to balance both walking up 18. I just remember, I didn't say anything to bones, but I just looked around and looked at all the people and was like, this is, this is exactly why. I play golf is for moments like this and like how cool that was to just see. I mean, that, that, that scene and like the amphitheater type, I mean, it just was like, everybody was up on that Hill. And I just remember looking, I mean, I have that vision in my head of like looking up and seeing that, but then also like, all right, dude, you need a two putt at this and win the, <laughs> win the tournament. So um, yeah, it was, it was really cool. Well, you're the defending champion now. And uh, do you uh, want to reveal uh your menu for next week by chance uh yeah, is that something I, yeah you do you want to talk about I, uh, I'll, I'll get into specifics here this is yeah the first time that it's um that it's coming out so i'm well i want to pride in this take me through so first off talk about where where it's coming from talk about your trip up there just how it all came about so i got very fortunately asked to go to Rayo's in uh, New York from a buddy of mine, Ben Wepper, and he's got uh, a table there. And I mean, I, I love food. I mean, I'm, I'm no, no Francie Kaufman by any means of, of a foodie, but I, I love me some food. And I had heard, heard about Rayo's. I'd never had the opportunity to go naturally. And, and Ben just called me. He goes, Hey, what are you doing? And it was like December, beginning of December. Um, He's like, I got a table at Rayo's, like you, me, Eric Church, and Eli Manning, we're going to go to dinner. I'm like, this is a strange random group, but yeah, exactly. Let me check my pulse. And I'm just like, well, like, are you going for a weekend or what are we doing? And 
side note to this story, Drake was supposed to play at the Apollo Theater after that. So we were going to go to dinner at Rayo's, and I was going to get to watch Eli Manning at a Drake concert, which was going to be absolutely incredible just looking at him in some whatever button down and cashmere sweater and vest that he had on was just going to be must see action but drake unfortunately canceled didn't do it but so we're trying to figure out like what are we doing are we going to go to rayo's and ben's like hell yeah like this is baller we're literally just going to fly to new york we're going to go to rayo's for dinner and then we're going to fly home and i'm like talking to jill i'm like am i going to do this and she's like why wouldn't you like this is a once in a lifetime kind of night and so we ended up going and um and ben had an extra spot at the table so uh He's also very close with Morgan Wallen. So he came with us too. And I've never felt, you know, like as little of a star as I possibly could in that group, but it was an absolutely incredible night and one that we're trying to make an annual trip out of. With me. With, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But because of that, I came up with the idea of uh, I reached out to to Ben and I said, dude, do you think Rayos would have any interest in doing my champions dinner for the PGA? And that's not something that the PGA usually does. They, you know, it's not necessarily a cater type situation. It's like, a, you know, we have a chef here that can make whatever, but I'm like, you know, the PGA is in New York. It's not terribly far. Like we could, maybe there's a chance. And I know that, you know, some people in the Rayos family are golf golf fans. So I didn't, it was worth a shot. They were all in. So Rayos is doing my champions dinner and I am so pumped because it's, um, I know they're excited, but I'm excited. So I will, uh, I'll share, I'll share the menu with you. SK. Let's hear it. So for the first course, so this is all stuff straight off their menu. So it's going to be, it's going to be legit. We got seafood salad, baked clams, and a house salad for the main course. You know, there's so many good things that are options for main course, but I wanted to try to touch it up, touch them all in terms of, you know, I, as a massive chicken parm fam that you are. Um, we'll have a good chicken parm. Yeah, you do. You know, I didn't want to have three chicken dishes, so I wanted to try to do it all. So I'm doing a penne, uh, penne vodka, the Rayo's meatballs, of course. Mm. The pork chop with the hot and sweet cherry peppers, just incredible. Uncle Vincent's lemon chicken, just unbelievable. Mm, chef's kiss. Yeah. Naturally, some steak, sauteed yep. broccoli. And then mm-hmm. for dessert, we have Rayo's New York style cheesecake and some mixed berries. So I mean it's it's gonna be it's gonna be nice. So I'm um I know you've already asked me about how I'm gonna sneak you into the dinner. It's gonna be a little tough now that we're talking about it on your podcast, but we'll see what we can do. <laughs> All right. So that dinner sounds amazing. Uh, I'm super jealous, but so you're now gluten-free and dairy-free. Where does that fit in on the menu for you? Can you even eat any of that? Uh, <laughs> thanks for bringing that up. Uh, yeah, we've already, already had discussions with them. I'll just, I'll have some, you know, some gluten-free pasta. I'll, you know, have some red sauce or maybe they can make some meatballs for me without some breadcrumbs. Um, yeah. Yeah. You saw it firsthand at Palmetto Bluff. I'm that guy that has to get different food than everybody else. I was I was curious if, you know, you're preparing this great meal for everyone. You can't even eat it. You're showing up with like, oh, I got my my frozen pizza with me. That's gluten free. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's 
that is so cool and that what a memorable night that's going to be for everyone just a, a cool experience you know the the, the being defending champion with so many great storytellers in the room that's going to be i imagine a a night that you won't forget uh but how about this we had a little bit of a reunion for our spring break recently mm-hmm. honestly it was like spring break get to bed by 9 30 except for me and you <laughs> but I want, I want to uh, tee you up here. And the the whole week was great. We had a, a blast hanging out with everyone, but that last night you come back from going to the restroom in our room that we were in, you come back and you tell us what. Yeah, I'm i I'm a big, I'm, I'm a hockey fan. Pittsburgh Penguins are my team. And um, I come out of the bathroom and I'm like, that is Sidney Crosby. Like that's a hundred percent Sidney Crosby. And I'm like, what, what, what? I just, I'm trying to like gather all this information as I've, you know, I've probably had a couple glasses of wine at this point, but I'm, I know, I know for a fact it is. And he, you know, he's got a bunch of people with them and I've met him a couple of times. And so I've, I, you know, I'm yelling at him I'm like Sid, Sid. And he just thinks I'm some loser fan and he just doesn't even give me the time of day, but his buddies are there who, you know, I'd, met a couple of them turn around say what's up and they're so they bring me into this room that they're eating at and I guess it's really cool uh Sydney Crosby he organized a little golf trip with their team every year after the season's over and unfortunately their season was over a little early but um uh, yeah I'm all geeked up I'm talking to you know talking to some of the boys on the pens and and you know you guys are probably thinking I've like fallen in the toilet or something at this point because I've I've been talking to him for 10 or 15 minutes and I come back and I think you were the first person I made eye contact eye contact with I'm like boys it looks like we got a night ahead of us because we I just ran into some of the boys on the penguins and I'm sure they want to uh they want to have a couple after dinner and um do do you want me to share the story or would you like to about the, the well we, uh, we can get we can get into that story here in a minute, but I want, I want to talk about the bit we got into at dinner with the penguins and they sent us a bottle of wine and we responded with what? <laughs> yeah. They sent a, you know, said very nice. The waiter comes in, he's got this, Hey, Mr. Crosby wanted to send this to you guys. Like, hope you guys are having a great vacation. We're like, Oh, that's so nice. You know, it's a nice bottle of wine. And I think it probably was, you know, us four guys were, I think near the end of the table and we're like, you know, what, what are we going to do? We, you could just like see our minds churning of our immatureness of what, how we were going to respond. And he's kind of standing there like, you know, do you want to send anything back? And I don't know why it just came into my mind. I was like, what salads do you guys have? And it's like, I don't, I mean, it's like, what do you think about splitting there's eight of them I was like what do you think about splitting a Caesar salad into eight portions and giving it to him and then the guy's like all in he's like oh wait he's like yeah I could like I'll just put like a piece of lettuce on there and like put a crouton and like put a you know make the whole presentation I'm like perfect that's that's great so we're all geeked up like a couple little kids and I guess they go in there I wish we had the picture that one of them took Oh man. The waiters all go in there and there's just they all are served. They're like, oh, on behalf of you know Justin and everybody and and the guys, they have uh they wanted to send you guys something and it was just a piece of lettuce. I mean, an all-time bit, it, but it didn't stop either. 
It didn't. Yeah. So they, you know, after whatever time it was, they, waiter comes back in with a tray full of shots and that, you know, it's got that, the salt around the, the rim and it's got a, a lime on there and it's just, they put it down. And I think we all did the same thing. We just, it just, you know, when you see something, it just looks warm. We're like, this is a warm tequila shot. And we oh, yeah. just feel the glass and everybody is just petrified to even like smell this thing, let alone try it. And all of us are kind of getting a little closer to it. And I don't know who it was. Someone at the table just goes, it's water. <laughs> so they had, they had sent back uh, eight water shots with salt around the rim and a lime on it, which then we proceeded to send the final blowback. And that was, uh, we got them all glasses of 2% milk. <laughs> It was one of the funnier bits back and forth. I actually, they sent seven uh, water shots and because they didn't give me a, sh a shot. So I'm sitting there kind of like, oh, I'm going to avoid this. I'm going to get lucky. And then it turned out to be water. I was like, oh, thank God. You know, <laughs> I could, could use one of these, honestly. <laughs> oh, man. But I will say, so people are listening are probably like, wow, that was kind of rude. They sent us a bottle of wine and they sent them eighth of a Caesar salad and milk. Well, you did leave your credit card for them to try to pay for their meal. They eventually said, no, we declined. So actually you ended up being the good guy in this whole situation. Yeah. I think they, I think they like sent it back and they said, no, like, you, you know, we know you missed the cut at the master. So you probably shouldn't pay for this or something like that. <laughs> you know, those hockey oh yeah, that's right. Very witty. So it's, uh, <laughs> it was good fun for sure. Well, you can get into the story if you want on, uh, as the evening, as, as your memory precedes you. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I can, I can see it so vividly and I wish that I could replay it for everybody, but we, we went back to the, the guys, you know, they rented this place, which so happened to be like damn near across the street from us, which was perfect. Um, well, so of course, it. you know, the girls go back and it's, and I think, you know, Rick, maybe Rick had gone back or he came over maybe for a little bit and went back. But, and again, like Smiley said, it just, our, our, our immature childish side takes over and and we're having fun with them. And then naturally the boys are like, let's play some flip cup. We're like, all right, yeah, cool. Sounds good. So setting it up and it's like, we're picking teams. It's like captains and it's, you know, we're going back and forth and I'm like all pumped up. I'm on Sydney Crosby's flip cup team. Like, this is going to be awesome. Freaking, you know, Smiley's got Jake Gensel on his team. It's and it so happens to be where I think it was what, like five on five or six on six or something like that. And give or take. Um, yeah, give or take, but it starts on the other end, and then it's me and Sid to finish our team, and I forget who I was. I actually may have been against Gens. I forget, but it was another guy and you, so you and Sid were facing off last. Our team is just an absolute – it's it's embarrassing. The potentially the worst exhibition of Flip Cup I've ever seen in my life, so – it gets the smiley and like, we're literally on like the second or third person still. So, and everyone's looking at on his teams, like smiley, go, like, what are you doing? And he's just hands on his knees, just like looking at Sid, just waiting, waiting. So finally it goes, goes, goes to me. And smiley is just like straight up, just staring the captain 87, right in the eyes, waiting for him to go. And then finally I go, I finish, and smiley's just holding his cup, looking at Sid, like you ready? Just down, up, down. Smiley, just one swig, one flip, done. 
and game over just like that. It was one of the most baller moves I've ever seen, but it was so funny. People were talking, maybe that is where I will peak in my life. Yeah, that, I think that's, there's that's be a peak type study on that that exhibition. It was insane. Shout out to Sidney Crosby and the Pittsburgh Penguins. What a what a time that was that evening, just kind of hanging out, reminiscing, telling stories. Uh, a lot of fun. And uh, I want to get into just one aspect of your game that I'm really excited about uh, with for you this year. You picked up aim point recently. Talk about your experience. You only had one week with it, but what have you felt like it's changed for you perception wise with your putting? Yeah. You know, I've always been someone that if I, if I feel like something can improve, I'm going to try something, you know what I mean? You know, whether it, I mean, that's why I'm going through this diet right now. It's like my gut was in a bad spot and, and it caused a lot of inflammation in my body. And I'm like, well, it's my own fault if I don't at least try it or do something about it. And it was kind of the same thing. I felt like where my putting was getting, I'm like, I know, and we've talked about this, you know, whether it was at Palmetto Bluff or, I mean, we obviously text or talk quite a bit on the road or whatnot. It's, I was putting, I felt like I was rolling the ball really well and nothing was going in. I was burning a lot of edges. And then naturally that comes with some frustration and a lot of stress builds. And then you can almost see that. And I think we had talked about that. You could see where I was almost trying to will the ball in the hole because I felt like I just couldn't make it in reality. And that eventually spreads over your entire game. But anyway, yeah, I got with my putting coach, Sean Graham, and wanted to look at aim point. Um, you know, I played, I honestly, I played a couple of times with Keegan at home and I was just sick of watching him make everything right in my eye. And I'm like, look, I, he couldn't talk enough about it. Max Homa couldn't talk enough about it. And I said, you know, it's worth a try. If it, if I learn one thing from it, then that's one thing I didn't know beforehand. And it was great. I mean, it's, it's something that takes the technical side totally out of it for me. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, like today I, I was out at the course and I spent 30 minutes. I didn't hit a putt, literally just feeling, feeling it, trying to see this is a one, this is a half, this is a two, this is a three, this is a zero. And then walking around the green and standing there saying, okay, this feels like a little more than a two, but not quite a three, I'll guess two and a half, put it down, assess it, go to the next one. And just doing that. And it's, it's like practicing your wedge game. If you want to be good at feeling the slope, you just have to practice it. And I really enjoyed it at, at Charlotte. I mean, I felt like it um, It took a lot of, like I said, the technical side of my stroke. I, I, the only thing I'm focused on is hitting the speed because I have the, I had enough belief that I was close enough to the right read uh, based off of what I, kind of the mixture of what I felt and looking at the slope and seeing what it was that, okay, this is a two. All right, put two up. It's going to be somewhere in this area. And then from there, just let my athletic ability take over and just focus on hitting my speed. And I really putted really nicely and made a lot of great putts. Well, I'm looking forward to watching uh, your putting as it goes throughout the year. I'm, I do think uh, putting great last week. has got to give you confidence heading into the PGA Championship um, here in a couple weeks. But I'm curious, will you use aim point at spring break or will the fingers be just a, a touch too shaky? Well, I think we we discussed that. Um, that was actually, I think, your first question you asked me is, you know, how is that going to work? And I think I said there's a, a sweet spot in there. I think it's like, you know, when you're shaky in the morning, obviously can't use it. And then there's so you're gonna also... Pump Bob? You're going to pump Bob in the morning? 
yeah, I'll do like kind of what Rick does. He just kind of does like the wobbly plumb bob and he makes everything. And then, and then, yeah, once you're aim pointing and, and you're starting to see multiple fingers, that's when you also just stop. You go home, put yourself to bed and stop doing aim point. So I have both of those to work off of as references. I love it. All right. Uh, last uh, question, but really not even a question. I just want to hear uh an update on the Justin Thomas Foundation getting married to Jillian last November. What an amazing wedding. But she is uh, in charge of uh, the Justin Thomas Foundation. But I want to know how people can get involved, What uh, what's going on new. Just update uh, the listeners on how, how they can kind of stay in touch with this. Yeah, yeah, thanks. No, it's uh, it's been great. And I know Jill is really really enjoyed being involved. I mean, my mom has done so much. I mean, my parent, my dad, even especially with my AJGA event, you know, that I've had now at, at the course I grew up at and the amount of money that that's raised for the foundation. Um, it's, it's unfortunate. I mean, I, I would love to, to have more events. I mean, I've only had the one event, what it was a five ish years ago. Um, we had one planned, of course, in 2020 and had to had to reschedule that. And, and we're looking to do one again, do an event again this fall. And the hard part is, is obviously with our schedule being so busy, but it's it's wanting to make sure it's done right. You know, it's it, being able to I mean, my my end goal and, and thought is I want to have some kind of building, some kind of structure in Louisville. Um, you know, we've done so much work with the Boys and Girls Club and, and the first tee to where, you know, maybe something that could kind of be joined together, something that could help so many of those children that are in need. Um, and obviously the junior golf aspect is uh, something that I'm very passionate about. But and then also being involved with military families is is something to me that is very important because I think they're the biggest heroes that we have. Um, you know, there's nothing that you or I have done on the golf course or in our life that can compare to how brave it is for the people that have served for our country. I mean, the things that they do so that you and I can sit here and have this podcast and and sit and talk in, in our homes and feel safe is those are the real heroes in, in our country. So, you know, you can go on my website. I mean, there's more information about the foundation. Um, but it's just, you know, we're looking to do as much as possible just to, even if it's benefiting a couple people, you know, that's a couple people that weren't benefited prior. And then when we have the opportunity to do bigger, um, more kind of widespread events or things to help out, I guess, larger opportunities, then um, then it's great. Well, I'm proud of you for giving back and I'm looking forward to watching to see what uh, the Justin Thomas Foundation does as it continues to grow and the rest of your family and Jillian and how they're pouring in their hearts into it as well. And uh, Justin, uh, thank you for coming on. I'm looking forward to watching you play the rest of the year. And I'm honestly more excited about catching up with your wife and asking her how that T-Swift concert uh, went the other night, but we'll save that for another day. Justin Thomas, thank you for joining my man. <laughs> Absolutely. I almost wore, she got a, she got a sweatshirt. I almost threw it on for you, but I thought that might trigger you a little too much to, to give it. I wish I'd have been right there next to her, my man. <laughs> Thanks dude. All right, brother. Well, that was Justin Thomas. It was electric. So let's, let's transition to the PGA championship. We kind of talked about uh, first off the weather. It's cold, cold temperatures in a big golf course 
are two things you definitely are going to play a major factor because when the ball isn't going as far on a course that's you got to carry it far, you got to hit long irons, it just magnifies how sharp you have to be tee to green. Thursday, high of 60, low of 46. But Friday, high of 77, low of 54. So I'm looking at that thinking, okay, I want to be teeing off Thursday afternoon. It's going to be the warmest it's going to be all day. And then Friday, it's about 8 to 9 degrees warmer playing condition. So I'm looking for a late early draw. So when those odd sheets come out, I'll probably be targeting a little bit more of those players. Um, but why don't you read me some of the odd sheets just so I kind of have a general idea of what the, uh, what the folks in the, that have those big bright lights in Las Vegas think. It's interesting hearing you describe the profile of the player who should succeed here. And we talked a little about this uh, off air before the show began, but you know now we're here kind of digging into some of the names who are going to be playing and some of the odds associated with those players. And there are two names that are at 35 to one that intrigue me. Um, for Can I guess reason- one of them real quick? Yes. Is one of them Cam Young? Nailed it. <laughs> so He's a New York guy, right? New York guy. And as, as you're talking here about the profile of a guy that needs to hit the ball high, you know, he struggled a little bit the Wells Fargo, but Paul Tesori's, but, you know, seems like he's really kind of helped him progress a little bit. And I'll be curious to see if the next step that he makes is in a major. And also Matt Fitzpatrick's at 35 to 1, who won the U.S. Open at the Country Club last year. So I wonder, do you see those two guys as being able to have success at this type of a golf course? Cam Young, a thousand percent. And he's he's a guy you can just bet every single week. I feel like until he wins, he's that type of player, that type of talent. And Cam Young, to me, from what I've seen, has so many different golf shots. The one the two things really with Cam Young I'm looking out for is mentally being able to get the job done. I think Paul Tesori is going to be a a huge um, asset for him in that. But and then the other part, just the physical part uh, of his game, I would say his putter. Um, I I just keep my head keeps on going back to the President's Cup where he had a pretty poor putting week. And to me, the President's Cup's a good indication of what maybe a, a back nine of a major championship, what that would feel like. I know that he finished second at the Open Championship, but dude, St. Andrews was was I mean, it was from what I could tell on TV, it wasn't like the most difficult golf course I've ever witnessed. <laughs> I actually have a question you'll allow me to get golf nerdy with you here for a second. Please. So I, I assume that where you grew up, you, you did you put it on Bermuda greens for the most part growing up, correct? Uh, actually, Birmingham, uh, we actually have a lot of bent. Uh, it's But everything south of us was Bermuda. So you played on a fair amount of greens where you had to learn how to read grain, correct? Like they're Bermuda. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Absolutely. So here's what intrigues me. It's like he's another one of these guys that's gone to aim point recently with Paul Tesori. And it would occur to me that you know, okay, if, if you're trying to read a putt with aim point and it's mainly based on the grade of the green, the slope of the green, you know, you can, you can do all your work and, and kind of know what the putt's going to do because it's all based on the slopes that are right there in front of your eyes. Whereas grain is that one little extra element that could make it break more than you think it would or less than you think it would, depending on which, you know, or be slower or faster course, than you think it course. is based on the direction of the grain. So at Oak Hill or bent grass greens, Last week, where he struggled at the Wells Fargo, Quail Hollow, those are Bermuda greens. Mm-hmm. Do you see that coming into play at all for Cam Young? I think anytime you putt on a green that you grew up on playing is 
for me, when I would showed up to any place that had bent, I said, okay, I'm going to make, I feel like I'm going to make every putt I'm going to look at this week because it looks so familiar to your eye. When you look at the hole, you, 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 you're able to just see the lines and I was always a die putter. So I typically could, could dissect and read those greens, but you're right. I mean, uh, I could, a lot of players struggle with different types of grasses and especially younger players, uh, whether they're going to the West coast and putting on Poana for the first time, uh, or a guy that, like you said, uh, Cam Young, and uh, we're just using his name, but coming down to the South and trying to chip out of Bermuda or read Bermuda greens, that all is a factor. But, uh, for Cam Young this week, I think it's, that's why I like him this week is because he's on a course that is similar grasses to what he grew up on and the weather for him, you wouldn't think would be a big deal. Uh, and I'm not saying the weather's this week's going to be a storyline. It's just, it's not warm. You know, <laughs> that's, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Uh, there's a great tweet uh, that I found from a guy named Andy Lack, who is at ADP Lack Sports on Twitter. Andy mapped out every hole at Oak Hill based on course conditions, carry distance, expected strategy, and put together a list where, where there are expected approach shot distributions at, at Oak Hill for the PGA Championship. Interesting. Right? It's super interesting when you kind of dig into this. So basically what he did is he kind of took all these different expected distances – and he categorized them into approach shots that are 200 plus yards, approach shots that are 175, 200, 150, 175, so on and so forth, right? So the tour average of approach shots that are 200 plus yard is about 23% of your, of your approach shot should be from 200 plus yard. At Oak Hill for the PGA Championship this week should be 33%. Wow. 10% 10, 10 more, which is interesting. From 175 to 200, the tour average is 17.5%. At Oak Hill this week, 22%. Mm. And then knocking down that lower tier, that 150 to 175, tour average 20.3%. At Oak Hill this week, 11%. 125 to 150, the tour average is 17%. This week at Oak Hill, 11%. I don't really need to keep going because basically the large point that, that is illustrated by that, that research is that they're going to be hitting a lot of shots that are going to be north of 175 into these greens. In fact, they should probably hit about 55% of their approach shots should be from 175 or greater going into this week. So that, that's, a, that's a lot of numbers. Admittedly, for a journalism major, almost too many numbers. It didn't make my head explode a little bit here. But, you know, I think it just kind of further kind of goes to your point of like, you know, should we really be looking for elite long iron players here? And are there guys that just jump to your mind immediately that are just really, really good with mid to long irons? Yeah, three guys came to mind, and uh, to me, the Mexico Open, and that was a week where everybody talked about how many long irons you hit at that golf course, and it's a golf course that people, when they see the scoreboard and they see, uh, what, a Tony Finau win it, like 26 under or something like that? Dude, that golf course is, is very long. They're hitting... Um, they're hitting wedges on some holes, but on on the longer par fours and par fives, it's 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 a good amount of long irons. And the two guys that played the best that week were Tony Fanon and John Rahm. So those two guys, uh, strokes gained approach wise, are are stupid good. So they jump out to me. And one guy who's strokes gained um, approach, and especially like par three scoring this year, has been down, but. And his history has shown that he has always been one of the best iron players. And that's the guy that we just had on for the interview today, JT. 
And I'll, I'll say this. So JT's par three scoring this year has been very poor. Uh, it's somewhere around 70 to 80. Uh, for him, he has always been a guy that's somewhere around the top 10 when it comes to par three scoring and being a very good iron player. And what it's all that tells me is that, and I've talked to him about this. We've talked about this on the pod with him is that sometimes you put a little bit too much pressure on getting the ball in the hole. Meaning if I don't feel good with the putter, I'm going to put a little bit more pressure on my long irons or my, to get, to get it a little closer to the hole. So I have a shorter putt and it, and in that thinking is where you kind of get stuck in golf where you're like, God, I know I'm playing better than this, but I just can't quite get hot with a putter. So I need to start hitting it closer. And then you start making more mistakes. But here's the thing about golf. All it takes is literally one good week with the putter, which is what he had at the Wells Fargo with the new system of aim point. And to me, all it takes is just a new system and a new experience with the putter to be like, oh, wait, I am a great putter. It's just that reminder. It's like I have it in me, but now I saw it. Now I can go. Now I just got to go do it. And now I can trust my experience in major championships. I don't have to aim at these pins because I I can make a 30 footer from the middle of the green. I think that is going to wake up for JT this week. And that's kind of one of the reasons why I feel like he's going to have a great week. What is Jordan's odds? I'm very curious of what that is. Jordan's at 30 to one. And And what were his odds? What were they before uh, his injury came out? I'm curious if he would have been probably sitting there at that fourth, fifth spot on the odds board, you would think, right? So I don't have historical odds on this page I have up right now, but I do recall seeing him near JT in those odds early on. So that's just off the top of my head. And, and I, you know, don't quote me on that specifically, but I, I think they drop from like the, you know, low twenties back to 30, just based on the nature of that injury. Charlie, I, I think he's going to play. And mm. that's just my general opinion. I think he's going to play. Um, other than that, that's about as much as I'm willing to, to share. I just feel pretty comfortable that he's going to be able to play. I don't know um, how, how the rust is going to be. I don't know how, uh, how bad it's going to hurt, but I just have a, a gut feeling that he's going to have the, uh, the tee in the ground on Thursday, but we're, we'll find out on uh, kind of the Monday news dump of what's going on at a major championship. And that's a wrap on the smiley show. Thank you guys so much for tuning in our, our next episode. We'll be dropping on Thursday with Sam Burns. Great interview, something that uh, I I think you guys are going to really enjoy. Uh, So y'all go enjoy the PGA championship. I know I'm going to be on the couch watching every shot. So uh, we will see you guys next time. 